Everybody listen to We're Not Wizards. Because we are the best. And we're not wizards. No matter what anybody says. Goodbye. another episode of we're not wizards my name's richard i'll be your host for march don't know why i'm singing no idea at all you know um but today it's kind of like it's been it's been quite a busy month so far it's been uh, fun i've been doing lots of things i've been learning lots of things um i've been looking into the past i've been looking into the future looking back at the history been seeing what I'm going to be planning for the rest of the year and um, I want to broaden my horizons, I want to expand my mind, I want to get some education into my life and to do that I thought I really should get somebody who knows an awful lot about education, is an educator, has educated and has also been involved in board games as well. So joining me I have got Dr. Scout Bloom. So, hello, Scout. Thank you very much for hello. coming Hello. Oh, you're very welcome. Thank you for having me. I'm uh, I'm delighted because uh, this, as always, and this is my perennial excuse now, has been a long time in the making. But uh, so here we go. Um, the reason that we're kind of on the show was I put a call out um, a little while ago and I was looking to just expand my horizons, exp- expand my knowledge and just speak to some people who weren't necessarily kind of developers or designers um, in the field, but are maybe kind of getting involved in using kind of board games and various different things. Um, but you're currently, is up your professor at the moment? At the moment, you're always a professor. Do you ever lose a professor? Can you lose your professorship? Um, I, I think you can not be a professor if you decided not to be, but I am currently a professor. I'm actually a professor of history at Troy right. University in Alabama. Right. Okay. Okay. Um, is that have you been? Is this what you've been doing like all of your professional life? Have you just basically got through education and then just continued until you became like an educator? Uh, more or less. I graduate, did my undergraduate work at the University of Texas, and then um, for a while I worked um, in a law firm. Mm-hmm. Uh, my husband was going to law school, right. um, but then I went back to school, and so since then, really, this is, you know, I, I got my PhD, and I got a job right out of grad school, and here I am. And um, what made you, I mean, going back, what made you kind of, because you specialize in history? Yes. Am I correct? But what kind of first drove you into kind of like the history books looking back in the past? Was there anything anything in particular that kind of really kind of grabbed your interest, grabbed your fascination with that topic? Um, I think I had some amazing teachers when I was in high school and college. Um, I had a, a teacher, Mrs. Nelson, in high school who just really brought American history to life for me. Um, and then I had a, a professor in college whose name was Clarence Lasby, who would tell us these stories. He was a really great storyteller, um, and he had actually interviewed President Truman when President Truman was alive. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know that to me was just so exciting. You know to be able to sort of interact with some of these um, you know real historical figures, whether it's on paper or you know actually getting to speak to them. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, you know, I think part of my interest in history came out of just having some really good um, teachers, but I also really, to me, history is very cool because it, it can be very interdisciplinary. You can do the history of anything, you know, mm-hmm. so um, it's a very, it's a field that, that can be very wide open and very 
um, you know, flexible as to what your interests are and what kinds of things you want to do. Um, so I, yeah. I guess that's why it was, I guess that's why it was kind of attractive to me. Well, I think if you start off in any subject, I mean, even if it's like, say, chemistry or physics, the first thing that you do is like, let's go back to the beginning of things when they first kind of worked on, you know, chemistry, physics and stuff like that. So finding out the kind of the real, you know, what happened at the very beginning of that chosen subject is generally the thing <laughs> before you kind of move yeah, on. Yeah, kind of I think you're right. What's kind of happening just now. Right, um, yeah. Did, did you... Did you then mix into kind of like social history as well? Was there a particular kind of point, part of history that you really kind of embraced that you kind of really wanted to get your kind of your, your hooks into kind of as you were going through your educational career? Um, my specialties are environmental history. So I study right. man's interaction with the world, basically. Um, I'm doing my current research is on kids and the environmental movement. Um, right. their activism in the movement and yeah um, like sort of the roots of the modern climate change activism mm -hmm. um, so that's my my main research area but I also do gender history um, uh, you know uh, femininity and masculinity um, and I do african-american history uh, as well mostly 20th century stuff so I've specialized in those areas the, I mean there's there's the kind of the, the thing what they would call the woke culture at the moment where uh -huh. people are talking about kind of gender identities and things like that has that right has that always been something and it's something that fast it's, it's something that fascinates me because i am a white straight guy right so i've just been drifting through going hey and straight here just drifting through you know not <laughs> to worry about very much you know oh no i stubbed my toe ouch kind of thing I never really but um in your experience in terms of like the <clears throat> the studies that you've done has it always as kind of like gender identity and things like that always been something that's kind of been there and it's just something that we're kind of waking up and realizing oh this is kind of a kind of a thing kind of thing that we're yeah kind of just absolutely more of it, yeah yeah absolutely um it has definitely you know Gender is a really interesting topic because it's it it varies by culture, mm -hmm. um, but it also varies by time. You know, the example I always give to my kids is if you were in Scotland and saw a man wearing a kilt, that wouldn't be weird. But if you saw a man wander into a classroom with a prom dress on, that mm -hmm. would be unusual. But, mm -hmm. it, you know, so not only is it a cultural thing as to what's masculine and what's feminine, but it does definitely vary by time you know, what is masculine now is, has not always been considered so that, that the, the definitions of masculinity and femininity have changed quite a bit over time, but it's always been present and it's always been something that people have looked at and thought about and, you know, written about and worried over. Um, there are certain periods in time where there were kind of crises in, uh, you know, particularly in masculinity um, as women gain rights in certain periods, you often see sort of a blowback with men kind of trying to reassess or redefine what is masculine to kind of, you know, refigure out where they are. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, absolutely. It has always been a thing. It's just been, uh, I, I think we are, we're talking about it. We're more aware of it now. We're more aware of, you know, hoping to reach goals of equality um yeah uh, obviously than they were in the past yeah i mean do you think that maybe we're talking about it more because people have got a platform to discuss it further that kind of places like social media has allowed you know well look at it this way you know like 20 30 years ago if somebody says well actually i kind of i kind of i know i'm kind of male but i kind of I kind of identify more in a kind of a female kind of situation that society kind of pressures would say, well, don't be silly, Dave, just, you know, what you'd go down the pub, there would be nobody they could talk to and talk about their feelings or talk about how they were feeling. Whereas nowadays, if they go on the internet, there's likely to be forums, groups, you know, places where somebody can kind of identify with other people who are going through the same thing. And do you think maybe that there's 
people have the ability to identify with other people that are going through the same thing that allows them to kind of group together and have a bit more of a of a voice kind of thing. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think there's that is a big part of what's going on, that mm. people are now seeing, um, you know, that they're not alone in what they're feeling with sexuality or different kind of gender ideas, you know, that mm. they, and, and, and social media is a good thing that it helps people find some of those communities. Of course, you know, it's also a really negative thing in that there is some really ugly stuff going on where you get, you know, um, a, a lot of kind of nastiness as well. Mm -hmm. But I think part of what's driving it as well is that we have this long history of these social movements that has started, you know, since the 60s and the 70s and started to sort of bring some of these things out in the public and and into politics and into, um, you know, making laws for equality and here in the United States, you know, different kinds of things in particular going on. So I think it's it, it was first kind of the groundwork was laid by these social movements to bring these issues up and to start the process of um, legal changes and political mm. changes. But you're right that social media has made it so that people can find their communities and realize that they're not alone a lot easier. Um, you know, it's interesting because in the 1950s, you know, a lot of women uh, were kind of, you know, cordoned off in their houses and were told to be good housewives and moms. Yeah. Um, and some of them had college degrees, you know, and were incredibly bright and were really dissatisfied with, with that. It wasn't that they didn't love their families or their kids, but it was that they, you know, they wanted more out of their lives. But they felt really, really isolated because they couldn't talk about it and they didn't feel that they could, could say something. They didn't know other people were feeling this way. And it took some pretty prominent books coming out Betty Friedan, um, you know, all, all different kinds of authors, but it, it took, um, you know, some of the social movements gaining a bit of speed before they realized they were not alone. And I think social media is really good, like you pointed out, it's sort of heightening that and bringing those, those groups out to the forefront. So, yeah. Did you, I mean, when you're doing your research, did you go, when you're doing like your gender studies research, did you go quite far back in history then? Or did you stick to like the previous kind of maybe 50, 60 years? Um, what well, my research is 20th century, mostly I go a little bit back into like the late 1800s. But when mm. we study in school, yeah, we go back. I'm an Americanist, so I do American history. So I, you know, I'm kind of fortunate in that I only have to go back 400 yeah. years. Yeah, yeah. Whereas in <laughs> um, Scotland, we can go back, you know, we've been around yes, for exactly. like ever you know <laughs> exactly or china thank goodness i'm not doing china um <laughs> but um yeah so i mean we in school we start you know back at the beginning of american history and come forward you know i i tend to specialize more in like the late 1800s forward mm -hmm. um but you know i still have a fairly good background i teach that class so i have a pretty good background in um you know the gender of the the whole american period a little bit in Europe, but not not a whole lot. Do you end up surprising like your students when you're telling them of kind of like how life was? Is it? I mean, because because the vision, <laughs> the kind of the impression that you get is that there was never any kind of gender fluidity kind of before the kind of the 1960s. Are you kind of? I don't know. We're not talking about board games, but guys, it's time to be educated. Um, but. <laughs> Well, you know, it's an interesting topic. Would you want to sit and talk about board games forever? Come on. And um, but are you? Do you surprise kind of like your class when you're teaching them and saying, well, actually, there was like certain kind of um, expected gender norms were kind of like there were, you know, there was there was more exploration in this part and forth. Going, what that was happening back in this kind of year. Um, do you kind of find that there's topics that people are kind of surprised about when you kind of bring them up in class and things like that? Um, absolutely. And sometimes it's kind of weird what they find sort of surprising. Um, mm. we were talking about prostitution at one point and, um, 
I have them read a book that has to do with, you know, prostitutes' lives in the early 1800s in New York. Mm -hmm. And this one kid was just blown away that there were prostitutes in New York in the 1800s. He thought that that was like a modern phenomenon, <laughs> which was a little bizarre. Um, but, oh, yeah, and certainly, like, if when you, you talk to them about how, um, you know, like, women and men in the 18, late 1800s, used to have very close relationships. They were a lot more sort of cordoned off, so the men would spend time with the men, mm -hmm. women would spend time with women. They weren't really doing a lot of things together, especially like upper-class white people. Yeah. Um, and so those relationships were very, very close. And while we might not want to characterize them as homosexual, you know, some of the letters back and forth between men or back and forth between women friends, mm -hmm. they might have kind of that air to them. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so I think kids are, yeah, I think that they're kind of surprised about how, um, how different sexuality could be or how different masculinity could be. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, a lot of 18 year olds think that what they know is the only thing in the known universe anyway. So um, it's it's neat to open their eyes to things, I guess. <laughs> they just come in and say, prepare to be schooled. And they're just like, what? <laughs> it's like, today we're doing 18th century, we're doing prostitutes in the 1800s. We're doing yes. what? Yes. <laughs> kind of thing. Yes. Now we're doing these two layers. We just thought, oh, they're quite romantic. Yes, they're between two guys and two women. What do you think of that? What? <laughs> no, that is exactly the reaction. Yes. Do you, I mean, then... Does it then, when you're sitting with kind of all this knowledge, when you see kind of like, I guess, the media at the time and how it was portraying stories, and you're kind of going, that's not how it kind of happened. Do you find that the history itself is quite frustrating because it seems that what was actual history is sometimes kind of not... I'm not using the word whitewashed, but it's also it's kind of sanitized an awful lot to kind of move <laughs> to kind of move away when we find out. Well, actually, everybody just did what they wanted to do, and it was never a big thing until kind of quite recently. Then it became a really kind of big thing, kind of thing. Well, I mean, I think the backlash for some things was pretty bad. I mean, before now, you know, in the fifties, mm. there was a huge backlash against you know. Uh, gays but mm. um, yeah. sometimes that can be very aggravating and that tends to be why historians often do not go watch history movies so that's too much like work maybe <laughs> I don't know <laughs> do you ever feel, well, you're not feel like writing a letter to Steven Spielberg with his report and just saying see me after class <laughs> <laughs> you know World War II movies can be some of the worst um, World War II movies have a tendency to be all about the hero and about mm. the glorious sort of escapades of soldiers and heroism and yeah. um, you know sometimes that's not exactly what war is like and yeah but do you think it's kind of trying to address it when you see like new films coming out like 1917 which seems to be a lot more kind of lifelike and even like I saw Dunkirk quite recently and it was just like oh my goodness this is actual hell on earth kind of thing Yes, yeah. I mean, I think that there are some really amazing war movies that are mm. trying to make a better sort of um, picture of the horrors of war and the difficulties of war. And that um, and I think Vietnam had a lot to do with that in that, um, you know, we got the idea that, that all of these soldiers came back so traumatized and you know, it was, it was difficult for people to understand that all soldiers had always come back traumatized. Um, it was just that it was this war that was bringing it out. And so I, I think that that allowed, um, you know, some of these World War II movies to start showing a different kind of side of, of the war. Yeah, absolutely. Um, with regards, I mean, when you're teaching the history, one of the things um, I've read in your bio is that you you use board games to kind of I teach do. history. Is, that, is the board game thing, is that... Is that something, I mean, have you been playing board games forever and then you thought, well, I could actually just, I really like playing board games, so if I could bring my board games into work and turn that into coursework, <laughs> I could basically be playing board games and getting paid for it. 
not exactly. <laughs> kind of, sort of. Um, I was... I was teaching, I played board games as a kid and I loved mm. them and, you know, yeah. um, but didn't really, you know, when I was, I was younger, I, um, after I had been teaching about four or five years, I guess I was getting kind of frustrated because it seemed like the students weren't engaging really well and they, you know, they were getting bored with just the same lectures and I was getting bored giving the same lectures over and over again. So one of my friends told me about a role-playing pedagogy, a role-playing um, uh, sort of these a group that was developing these games for history games for the classroom called Reacting to the Past. Mm -hmm. And so um, I, I started getting into that. And basically what Reacting to the Past does is it, they're role-playing games, but they're based in real history and they have real historical characters or the people you're playing and you are reading real historical documents, and it's very, very cool. Anyway, so we started doing that, and I started getting so excited about games in the classroom because the kids were, you know, really into it, and they were really excited about doing these role-playing games, at least most of them were. And um, some of my friends in reacting were also very much into board games. And so yeah. I had no idea, and this was probably about, I don't know, six years ago, seven years ago, but... I had no idea what modern board games were like. You know, I had no experience with them with Catan or, you know, anything. So um, I was just fascinated by how board games had changed and how sophisticated they had become and what they were dealing with. And, you know, some of my friends were saying, you know, that there were a lot of these history games out there. So I started what has become a massive collection of <laughs> uh, buying history games. What was the excuses? I know, I know. The is like, I'm going to just have three or four and then yeah, I'm going to stop. You can't. You can't. Like, you're now on it your fourth shelf. It, it doesn't work that way. It just, you know, they're like, it's a, it's a addiction or something. Anyway, so, but I started um, finding out about these modern board games mm. and finding out about some ones that were um, on topics that I taught on quite a bit um, and and were very accessible. So uh, that's kind of how I got into it um, and then started playing them as well. But and learning that learning that when kids are designing games in the classroom, that that is just such an amazing teaching tool um, to help get them thinking in different ways um, and to yeah. help get them um, <gasps> you know, uh, uh, talking about different kinds of issues. Yeah. Um, I, you know, it was just such an amazing experience that, that, you know, I wanted to continue and I've gotten deeper and deeper into it and can't get out. And now oh, I'm just lost <laughs> in board games. <laughs> How many games have you got? I have no idea. My yeah, son ridiculous. counted them once. I don't know. I'm probably approaching a hundred now, maybe. 100. 75 to 100? Seven, no, you see, it's probably 125. Uh, maybe. Maybe it's more. I don't know. It's because everybody rounds down, and it's amazing how far they round down. I probably got about, you know, 250 board games. It's like, no, they've got, they've got 500. You can guarantee. Um, <laughs> is, there, is there a particular style that you go for? I mean, do you, because you're using them, I take it using them potentially introducing concepts and, and kind of almost like teaching tools in the classroom, are you quite open to the types of games that you'll, that you'll buy then? I mean, is that, or do you just go like, no, I just wanted them all. Um, Give me all the board games. <laughs> I like just all of them. I, I think um, in class, what I try to do is to show them a big variety of different kinds of games, consciously mm -hmm. to kind of pick a lot of different games so that they can get an idea of what different games are like. Um, mm -hmm. So we'll play things like Axis and Allies. We'll play Settlers of Catan. We'll play Pandemic. Mm -hmm. You know, it's it's all those kinds of games If for the classroom. Um, for me in particular, I mean, I really like cooperative games. Those are my favorites. I think I've been really, really influenced by Matt Leacock and Pandemic. Um, I think that those are just, his games are just amazing. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I like cooperative games. I like worker placement games, personally. Um, but in the classroom, I try to do a whole bunch of different kinds so that they can get a widespread of, of uh, you know, what's out there, I guess. So when it, 
when it gets to the end of the term and you get the traditional let's buy our teacher or tutor a present, do you drop subtle hints about the kind of the latest <laughs> board game that you would like? Do you like put it up on the overhead projector and say, now remember if you are considering um, any gifts for me at the end of term um, then here's the BG, here's the board game geek link that you can use to my wish list and um, um, just remember there will be a test at the end of the week and about what my wishes are <laughs> what your wish what your wish list is and, and what's what's kind of rank ranked I think that would be a, I think that blackmail is I know it's a dirty word but it's also um, it's lucrative um, depending uh, on it, which way you're using it uh, you know, is is that something that's common in in Scotland and England that yeah. you give a present to your professor? I've never my students don't do that. Maybe they just don't like me. You're at all, joking but... me, really? Is that not a thing? No. See, this needs to change into a campaign thing. I mean, this needs to okay. be a thing. No, I, I agree. Have to say, I think we have you know, really seriously. You <laughs> don't get. We're anything. importing this. No. You don't you work really hard all year educate filling these mindless voids with your knowledge and your experience and they're giving you nothing back at the end of the year. Uh, they give me their love. I know. They they don't. They give wow. no. Wow. You need to put this in as like a percentage to their final mark. You need to be grading them and remember 30% of your final grade is going to be based on <laughs> how much appreciation you show me because I need to feel valued as a person and as an educator and that's how you word it and then you just sit back and you just watch the <laughs> presence kind of flood in. If you end up with like a double copy of Pandemic, as long as you don't unseal it, you can stick that bad Return boy it. on eBay. You can stick that bad boy on eBay and you can get your money back. I well, mean, that's all exactly. <laughs> that's all I, I like say. this idea. I like this idea. I'm quite prepared to write a strongly worded letter that you can use as backup and you can you can give to, you know, the head of the faculty or when you're... Ha I mean, you could spread this out amongst everybody else. You could make it a movement across the entire kind of um, educational establishment if, you know... It probably won't work, though. I'm just warning you now, you know, if it's a It, it might thing. be, you know, some sort of ethical violation or something, maybe... I don't know. Betsy DeVos does a lot of the educational thing. I don't think she's got many ethics. <laughs> <laughs> we don't want to be her. I, we do I, not want to be her at all. I, would, <laughs> I wouldn't mind a bit of her money, though, um, to be oh. perfectly honest. You imagine how many board games. There she is squandering now see the, But that bones. would be dangerous, though, don't you think? I mean, if you had unlimited resources to buy board games, I mean, that seems like that would be, that would be problematic, actually. No. No. You'd buy like a whole house and it would be nothing but board I'd games. That sounds very cool, games. doesn't it? But then you could get that other sounds... people into board games. And then it takes care of two of my issues, storage space and friends. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There you go. Uh, problem solved. Yep. <laughs> problem, problem, problem solved. Um, in, in terms of dragging this screaming by the hair back onto topic again... <laughs> um, are you ever in the situation, you're talking about kind of the game side of things and the, the design of games as well. Um, do you, is, is that what you work towards? Are you working towards saying like, okay, well, first of all, let's, let's take some games and let's help you understand how we can use them in history. And then is, is the kind of, the, 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 does the design side of things, does that become like a side project? Is that something that you kind of bring in later on? Um, so... In the main class that I teach, which is mm -hmm. called History Through Games, so mm -hmm. we will do some history background, and then we will play a game, and then we'll kind of talk about how the two link up. You know, where is the game accurate? Where is it not? Why did the designer make those choices? Yeah. But what the kids are doing throughout the whole semester is they also have a project to come up with a, a proposal for a history game themselves. So wow. they are they are you know, coming up with sort of the basic rules and, you know, what the mechanics are to help them fit into a game about whatever mm -hmm. they're picking. So the design of the game is something that, that they're kind of doing over the whole semester. Um, and I've just, I've really found that 
it, it's a way to get them to think more critically about history and to think more creatively. Um, and it's, it's important that they sort of think about what choices the designers make um, and why they make them. And one of the big things that we talk about, and this is why our earlier conversation was so relevant, but one of the big things we talk about is how limited and the complete lack of diversity, really, um, in who is designing games and publishing games. You know, that it's mm -hmm. mostly a white male field, and it's starting to diversify now more. Um, but we talk about how that, you know, that white male sort of view, white male European view, um, how that limits the topics that they're getting into and how they're seeing things. And so it's just a really, for me, it's just a really cool way for the kids to get into that topic of privilege and to think about race and class and gender, mm -hmm. but to do it in sort of more of a fun and engaging way, I guess. So are the classes it's, that you, it's been amazing. Are the classes that you teach, are they, are they predominantly white race or is it, is it kind of generally a mixture? Does it depend? Um, Troy is a very diverse school. We have mm. racially diverse. We also have a big international student population. Okay. But the classes, interestingly, I mean, they so black and white, um, racially it's diverse, the class is. But oh. gender-wise it isn't. I always have you know, 80% males and then one or two females in the class. Uh -huh, um, okay. And I've been trying to, you know, I've been working really hard to try to broaden that, to bring in more girls. Um, I, I think that, you know, there's just this image a lot, among a lot of women that serious gamers, quote unquote, are men. Or maybe that we're just doing video games or first-person shooters or something yeah, i don't yeah, know yeah, no, no, um, i understand that yeah yeah but um yeah gender wise you know i i would really love to see a lot more diversity but um mostly it's it's it is mostly men but diverse racially mm -hmm. okay okay no it's just it's just kind of kind of interesting so do you do you often have to find that when you're working on the games you're kind of trying to break away from kind of stereotypes and things like that as well trying to get them to think differently when they're approaching their own kind of miniature projects kind of challenge them on their on their views and and what they automatically um can do regarding you know everything from like character creation to who are the perceived kind of good guys and bad guys in in a game yeah absolutely um and and especially like the perspective of who they're looking at it from, you know, because we mm. talk a lot about how a lot of games are, you know, you're the business owner or you're, you know, that you're sort of at this top level when you're doing these things uh, in, in games. Mm -hmm. And so having them sort of challenging them to think about what a game would be like from a different perspective. I had a, one of my students, we just finished a class and um, he, he developed a really kind of a cool game about the black plague from the rats perspective. Mm. Um, which was, and he's, you know, hopefully he's going to continue. I, I, I want him to continue with that game. But, um, you know, so so he was kind of, you know, I was kind of pushing him to do that, to kind of um, change his perspective. I had another one who was doing a train game, and um, I wanted him to do it from the perspective of the laborer. Um, and, uh, you know, so he was trying to sort of fit some of those elements in of, of, you know, who was working on the railroads and how they were being treated and, and that kind of thing too. So, um, but, uh, yeah, definitely try to challenge their perspectives and challenge, um, you know, how they're, how they're developing their game and how that might look different if they change the point of view that the game is coming from. Absolutely. Yes. Does it, um, does it help focus them? as well working on a project because i'm aware that sometimes classes can be here this is what we need to learn today and for some people especially nowadays i think um some people just find that difficult to to take in so have you seen kind of it help with kind of like concentration and focus and have you even been surprised by you know certain kind of uh, students and and how they've kind of tackled and approached the games that they've been creating absolutely um 
you know, because for the project, they get to pick their own period of history that they find interesting. So mm-hmm. I don't, I don't define that. I let them pick, you know, what they think is interesting, which that can always lead to um, more engagement. If they, if they want to do it, then mm-hmm. maybe they're going to be paying a little bit more attention to it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, certainly their engagement is, is more, but it's also because they're, you know, they're developing something that's out of the box and sort of requires them and forces them to think in a different way about, you know, okay, here we have this historical event. How can we make this into a game element? Um, So it makes them think about things in a different way. And we talk a lot about, um, you know, how to how to deal with difficult kind of elements. You know, do you put slavery in? Do you, you know, how do you deal with, the Holocaust or, you know, whatever. Um, so we, we do talk a lot about, yeah, that kind of thing. Um, it, it does get them more engaged with, um, you know, sort of how they're thinking about topics, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, I think especially as generations pass and things like, you know, World War Two, and in some cases, if you even think like things, even things like Vietnam now, are kind of moving further and further away into the history. Oh, absolutely. You get to the point where, you know, um, where people who were involved in, you know, World War Two, there's very few people left. And we're getting to the right. point now where even people that were involved in Vietnam, there's, you know, there's not as many people kind of left who are still alive who were involved in that conflict as well. So I think sometimes it's... Um, it's the dangerousness of something that was a history becoming just like a story, if you know what I mean, that people then kind of challenge and say, is that true or is that real? I mean, we're we're in this, in some ways, in this timeline where people have the right to be Holocaust deniers. They think they can kind of go ahead and challenge that. And uh, it's kind of like, is it, is that why is that why you're kind of approaching that to help you know to make people realize yeah this is real this actually happened if we're going to be oh, talking sure. about this as an element of your game we've got to kind of tackle it in a kind of like a certain way yeah i mean you know you you want them to see history as complicated you want mm. them to understand that not everything is clean and neat and tidied up and I think the students tend to think that history is inevitable you know oh well this happened because of course it was going to happen and you know Mm. Truman dropped the bomb because well that was just what was going to happen and so you try to get them to think about um, you know why things happened and the messy kind of untidy parts of, of history too yeah but but absolutely I mean you you if you if there's an amnesia about history then we lose you know a lot of ability to make decisions i think you know history i don't think history foretells the future i don't think history you know shows us what's going to happen um but i do think that it can help us understand that decisions have consequences and that you know um if things were to go a different way that that might have produced something different you know to to think about um you know what happened and why it happened and what were the consequences are, are really, really important. That's just true of history in general, I think. Yeah. I always talk about history kind of kind of repeating itself as well. Um, yeah. With, with regards to the, um, to the games that are created at the term, have you, are there ones that are like exceptionally good that, you know, um, when they've come to collect them, at the end of term, you have helped them vanish into your own collection. Have you have you stolen some of your students' projects <laughs> because they're really, really good as well? I'm trying to say. <laughs> no, I'm saying we, that no. I, I mean, there must be ones that are really just like this is a really really good game that we could maybe yes. even take further. You mentioned that already. Yeah, we have um, a, a game design minor at Troy, which is, mm. you know, they have their, their major that they do, which is their major field of study, and then their minor is sort of something that they, you know, gather smaller numbers of hours on, but is sort of their secondary course of study. Um, and as a part of that game design minor, they create a game. They create a marketable product. Mm. So, um, you know, we have one student right now who is working on a game about um, the silk trade um, oh, yeah. in um, China, 
and she, her game is just it's amazing it's really really good we took it to gen con last year wow. um we play play tested it at gen con um she had some interest from some publishers really um she did and um just really proud of her and the work that she's been doing on it so um you know it's and i'm i'm wanting to encourage all of our students to do that you know not all of them hers is kind of a heavy euro sort of game but you know we have some who are producing party games or um you know lighter kind of games too but that's basically what we want for all of our students is to have them produce a game you know that might go on kickstarter or um you know and 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 actually become a product um and there's always the option too that my company would pick it up depending on you know what they want to do with it and whether or not it sort of fits in with what Mockingbird Games is doing. We, mm-hmm. my company, I've always wanted to make sure that we have sort of a social justice kind of um, emphasis as well. Um, all of our games have some kind of charity that they're associated with. Yeah. Um, I, I'm doing one game for Mockingbird. I'm designing one game called uh, Adopt Me, which is about adopting pets um, wow. out of shelters. And all of the money from that is going to go to shelters. So, you know, and, and we're looking for games like, you know, on historical and social justice and environmental kinds of issues too. So, um, but I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely wanting the students to continue with their ideas and to, you know, continue to develop them and get them into a, a, a product form because some of them are just fantastic. I mean, they're really creative and amazing. So, Yes. And you mentioned, is this field trips to Gen Con? Did you actually? (laughs) We did, we did. I just, this is a whole big thing, isn't it? I mean, is there a PAX U kind of field trip? I mean, are you doing other things? Are you going to go to, did you go to Gamma? I mean, I'm I'm sensing kind of like, I know I joked earlier about this is somebody who wanted to bring their hobby into the workspace but I mean you're going field trips to Gen Con now and I mean this this seems like you've sorted this out very very well Scout very very well indeed uh, you know the problem is is that it is really expensive and yeah, is, yeah. Um, so I would like I think what we might be able to do this year we were going to go to Proto Atlanta yeah, which is you know one of the Proto Spiels um, and I think but that's like right during final exams. Wow. So I'm not sure if they're going to be able to do that. I, I I really do want to continue to take kids to some of these big, um, some of these big kind of um, uh, conventions. Again, the problem being that it's just really expensive. And, you know, some of them come from very modest means. Some of them have never been out of the state of Alabama before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so I, I'm going to keep trying to do that. And we got some support from the university um, for Gen Con, where they were paying for hotels, um, for the hotels for the kids, which was, you know, I mean, that was amazing because it was quite a bit of money. Yeah. Um, but, um, you know, that was just such a fantastic experience for for um, the girls. It was just amazing. And, and they were fantastic, too. So. Um, but yeah, I would, I would definitely hope to be able to keep doing that. I just, it is expensive. It's a lot. Yeah. That's a lot of money. That's why I was wondering if you're mixing kind of like the field trips and to see where else can I go, which would be, which would be really, really, which would right. be really, really nice. Eschenspiel. I think that's the one you need to aim for. <laughs> I mean, it's going to be, it's going to be a hard, pa- it's going to be a hard trek. I don't know. Um, that's but- kind of small, you know, it's kind of. <laughs> Out of the way, and you know, it's Germany, Scout. <laughs> We're thinking about doing a that, little field trip. That might be a can... little too big. That just no, might you can be. Talk about like history at the same time. You can say, "We'll tell well, you true. what." We're going to head over to Germany. We're going to do a little bit of the old World War Two history while we're there. And then we might just happen to go into one of the biggest gaming events of the. I accidentally the wander year. in. Fall in. You know, we didn't realize. Oh, is that a ticket? I didn't realize, kind of thing. And then you know, just have a have a wander, have a kind of a wander around. Um, have you have you um? Do you have any interactivity with? I know you've you mentioned your your own company, Mockingbird Games, which we'll 
we'll go on to. But have you had much interactivity from the industry itself? Have you gone and approached kind of various publishing houses to see if they would be kind of interested in kind of getting more involved in, in what you're doing? Um, kind of informally, um, you know, we're just starting. Um, mm-hmm. This is the first full year that we've had the program in. So those are some things right. that, you know, I, I really would like to start doing. Um, and, you know, if, you know, if we could, if we could start some kind of, you know, program like that, um, especially like for internships, I think would be really good. If some of the yeah. publishing companies had internships so that the, the kids could go out and could learn about, you know, what it takes to be, um, uh, you know, in the, in the game development and publishing business, I think that would be fantastic. Um, and I've made some connections, but, you know, again, we're sort of in the very beginning stages of that. Well, I, I, I kind of, I can help with that. Oh, thank you. I, that I've, would be so I've, nice. I've, well, I've spoken to lots of people. So if you're listening you out have. there... You have. Yeah, of course I have. And if lots you're listening out there, games people, you, you hear. I'm, I've, I've, I ask very, very little of you. But now I'm asking you. And I shall put some links in the show notes so that you can get in contact and start a dialogue. All you lovely American people can start working together. Um, let's talk about Mockingbird Games. Um, yes. Where, what made you decide to take that step? I guess it was just a natural progression. You brought your hobby into work. You're going to game shows. You might as well make some extra money on the side <laughs> with your own. I, I'm not making any money. I'm, I'm making no up. money. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I know just, just in case this has been recorded. Um, yeah. Yes. Anyway. And One no, of my students what? was like carrying on about how much money he was going to make, and I'm like, um, no, we're, we're not like going to become millionaires selling this game. Don't yes, no. let's not get carried away. <laughs> poor thing. I probably like broke his heart right there. Poor, poor wow. little thing. Um, well, you know they've got to shatter their dreams. Well, you occasion. know, every once in a while, that's what Reality we're here check. for. <laughs> that's what you're I'm here to educate um, you and shatter your dreams. That's <laughs> yeah, you know. <laughs> Good night. Yeah, um, sorry. I so Mockingbird came out of I was teaching at the college level, but then I was also teaching um, Boy Scout merit badges, and they have a merit badge in game design. And so, you know, I had seen how wonderful it was at college. I thought, well, this would be really fun to go and teach younger kids mm-hmm. um, about game design and, and, you know, through the, the Boy Scouts. My son was in Boy Scouts at the time. And so I went and did this at a winter camp. And I was just completely blown away by, you know, how creative the kids were mm-hmm. and, um, you know, how much they got into their doing their little games. And they were so excited to play test them and they were all kind of gathering around to play test each other's games. So I came away from that experience and was, you know, just so energized by it that, you know, and I remember very distinctly, I told my husband, I'm going to start a company now. Wow. And I want to, I just want to do this. And of course, you know, I mean, I knew, I guess, a little bit about what was involved. I, I don't think you ever really know what's involved with starting a company and doing something like this until you actually do it. Um, yeah. And people, you could read about it and people could tell you about it, but, you know, you, you don't really realize what's involved until you, you start to do it. But it has just been a blessing. It's been an amazing experience. I've loved dealing with the kids that I've dealt with and teaching and, you know, kind of showing them what opportunities there are and empowering them. I mean, it's just, it's a, I think for kids, it's a really empowering experience to sort of see something that they create can become something people buy, you know, um, that's, there's something in game stores for people to go and buy. Um, I just, and it's neat to see that kind of process and how they, how they experience that and, and helping them get through that, I guess it's just very cool. And I don't think they get taught that. I think kids get taught an awful lot about almost like theory stuff. They do the practical stuff, but I, I don't, I mean, I know you get kind of like business studies. But I think there's a big difference between, you know, learning the jargon and everything like that about, you know, 
this is what this is what tax is this is what profit is this is what you know your costs are kind of thing and, and the difference between well let's actually kind of start up a business and i think something like what you're doing if they're getting the actual i guess the working end of the stick <laughs> to actually right. see how it works in practice is a very very valuable important life you know kind of life lesson you know i know a lot of, i know a lot of kids i'd say let's spend a couple of hours learning about bills and banking <laughs> accounts and you know how to change a flat tire or a light bulb um you know and things like that and i think you know um sometimes we forget <laughs> that you don't it's that those are things that you have to learn unless somebody's like willing to take you aside so the fact that you're doing that and saying okay this is actually how a business works this is how the kind of the the production works and this is how kind of everything like that that runs alongside it kind of works i think that's a really really important kind of kind of a kind of life lesson it is yeah i agree and i, I think too and you know what we try to do is you know with this idea of empowerment is to have the kids be involved actively in decisions you know it's not like you know i'm not making the game i mean it's it's they're involved in what art we're using they're involved in you know what components are in there you know do we have a board or can we take that out or you know so they're and you know they see the financial sort of stuff so um yeah i mean i absolutely agree with you that that having this but also having a product you know they can go to job interviews and college interviews mm. and say here look this is my game that i made or you know so i mean i think that's very valuable too yeah, I mean, that's a big joke, isn't it? It's like, you know, must have, uh, you know, looking for college graduate, <laughs> 10 years experience kind of thing. You're just like going, yeah, okay. Yeah. But I think um, there's a thing that we do over here in the UK, um, which are kind of vocational qualifications, where somebody can actually go into a job and earn a qualification at the same time, you know, which is maybe not like a, a skill, you know, an actual semi-skilled jobs so they're not like going out to be like a joiner or a plumber or an electrician but if they're going into if they're going into retail or if they're going into warehousing they can get an official certificate that says look i'm competent at kind of doing that and again it's rewarding oh that's amazing some, somebody's kind of yeah it's it's just because there are a lot of kids that kind of like there was a big drive um which is dry drying up a little bit now which there used to be a big drive to get everybody into university education right and the problem is when you can repeatedly tell people that the best thing for them to do is to go to university and then what happens is you miss out with a lot of people who <laughs> who actually were probably suited to kind of working straight out of school because they're never really going to achieve much academically but they can be really really good at doing some things straight out of school and be have an excellent career at what they were doing, you know, I think that's, you know, um, and for them, vocational qualifications are absolutely fantastic because it still allows them to get a certificate to say they're really, really good, but it also gives them the chance to actually get out there and do the practical stuff and get a job and everything like that, which is kind of pretty, pretty cool. Um, you, you've went, you've been on Kickstarter. You took yes. one of the games to Kickstarter, which was the, was it face-to-face? -face? Yes. I believe. Um, yes. Was that run as a cat? As again, was that was that something you did that you evolved the class in, or was that like a separate thing that, um, um, that you did with Aiden? That that was um, well. The artwork was done by a young man named Mason Gutenson, who was mm -hmm. an a graphic design student at the university. So we had the help of the graphic design students. Um, in in doing the artwork, it was not a part of the 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 program at Troy. We had done face to face partially as and poor Aiden got used as a guinea pig. We used um, that to sort of help us get through the process and and help us learn how to get through the process. I guess does that make sense? Um, yeah. That we that we wanted a game that we could that we as instructors could learn from i guess and yeah, okay. um you know so that this was the the game that we started with and that went on to be that went on to be funded um was that all exciting then that must have been pretty cool because i know there's a lot of kickstarter projects that kind of 
they start, they stop, they stall, they have to come back kind of multiple times. So was it pretty cool to get yourselves kind of funded and get the game made and that must have been pretty rewarding? It was, uh, you know, very stressful, but... Um... And you know, I think we I think we learned a lot through that that Kickstarter campaign, you know, about. Yeah. Um, and I think that if we do it again, you know, we'll have that knowledge behind us. But about the importance of building an audience and building, um, you know, support for the game. I think one of the things that I found out about myself, you know, I'm not, I'm not a marketing kind of person. I'm not someone who, you know go buy this game. This is the greatest game ever. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not sort of a self promoter. I don't do that naturally, I guess. Um, so that was, it was difficult for me to do that. And it was difficult for me to, you know, get these posts out about the yeah. game and to structure the marketing and the advertising for it beforehand. Um, so, I mean, but it was, it was an amazing learning experience, but it was, it was, you know, also very challenging just because it's something that really does not come naturally to me um, at all. But we did learn a lot and it was, it was a good uh, experience, I guess. Yeah. But you're going to do it again though, aren't you? Yes. Although um, (laughs) I don't know if we're going to use Kickstarter because, because of the charity element to it, Um, you know, that, that these games are going to be funding charity, um, Mm. So I, you know, and Kickstarter doesn't normally doesn't doesn't allow that. So we might be using GoFundMe um, to do those kinds of things, which is a for us might be a better kind of setup because it's not the all or nothing that Kickstarter yeah. is. You know, I think Kickstarter can be very frustrating. You know, if you get ten dollars within your goal and um, you know don't hit it, then you don't get it. So, um, but we, I think we might end up using GoFundMe rather than Kickstarter for some okay. of the games. Okay, okay, okay. Has, um, overall, I mean, have you thought about kind of developing the course kind of further than, you know, expanding it all? I mean, have you, because it sounds to me like you you kind of, this has helped to kind of inspire you to to kind of really kind of, take the bull by the horns with regards to kind of like, you know, the tabletop industry as a whole. I mean, you've started on one side of using games to, to as um, kind of teaching aids to producing a game kind of like yourself. So has that kind of got the neurons firing to say, well, what can, what can I do next? What else can I do <laughs> kind of in this space? Absolutely. Um, I, I really, I love the industry. I love the excitement about it i love the growth um that that i see i you know the conventions are so much fun um you know aiden my son loves them and my mom has gotten really excited she came to gen con one year with us and uh she loved it and you know and and just that there are you know that kind of diversity in ages of people who are there and you know genders and you know that it's just I'm so excited about the industry. I think that it's really, it's neat. And I think it's at kind of a turning point where it's starting to become more self-aware and starting to include more people. And I just, I'm excited about hoping to be part of those efforts too. Um, you know, I think, I think the, one of the things that I really want to do is to work at being a part of diversifying the industry, you know, specifically, Mm -hmm. um, you know, on my end, a lot of it is age-wise, um, but we also, you know, want to do gender and racial diversity too. So, you know, bring in kids who um, might not have ha- been able to have this experience um, otherwise. Um, but yeah, and you know, I mean, I've gotten really interested in game design myself, and partially because I see gaps in what games are available and what I would like to be able to teach and use in my classes and, you know, noticing that, that, you know, if I want to teach that subject and use a game, I might need to do it myself. And, um, Mm -hmm. so yeah, I mean, there, it's just, it's a neat industry and, uh, you know, a lot of different avenues to pursue too. Have you, um, have you been in contact, uh, with Elizabeth Hargrave who did Wingspan at all? I have met her 
several times and she is just the most amazing kind generous person um and wingspan is one of my favorite games too i love that game but she is just she is really nice i was at um the um tabletop uh game design um workshop i guess right before bgg.com yeah and uh in dallas this past year and she was there and it was just it was you know she's sort of one of my one of the women that i really look up to in this industry and um she's just amazing and kind and approachable and just really really cool i had her on the show when wingspan was just cresting when it was just really people were buzzing you know buzzing um and yeah and uh, yeah, we had a really good we had a really good chat. And I would like to say that um, I spoke to her before the New York Times did. So, oh, well, <laughs> yeah, so there you go. Yeah, so, <laughs> yeah. So you know, she's she's so smart and so yeah, you know, um, aware of things and issues. And you know, she's just an amazing and and she's not afraid to sort of be a spokesperson for women and and other. Uh, you know, people of color, um, you know, that's really impressive that not only is she a woman who's trailblazing, but she's willing to put herself out there and, and help others as well. I mean, that's just really special. So, yeah, no, yeah, I, guess, I think yeah. she's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And we'll see. I'm interested to see what she is going to do, going to do next game wise as well. If it's anything like, um, anything like Wingspan. Have you seen good. Have you seen Mariposas? I haven't really seen anything about. Wasn't she doing a game about butterflies? The Mariposas game. I yeah, haven't seen there much was about that. that. Yeah, that came. I think that. Um, I think that came. That came out. Um, I think oh, has it, did, it? Oh, cool. I think. I think it. I think it did. I think it came out on Kickstarter. Um, I think. I think um, when you do something like Wingspan, it is kind of like your. <laughs> I don't know if it's like your Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club band kind of album. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, and, and and every that's it's kind of like you can do whatever you want kind of around it, but that's what everybody's kind of talking about and and kind of well deserved as well. And I know that uh, you know people were struggling to kind of get hold of the game forever, and it still managed to be one of these games which I find people saying. Um, it's really easy to learn and then find other people saying, well, I just like playing it all the time because it's really easy to kind of just continually play and play and play. So for a lot of people, it's kind of become become a staple, which is pretty good. But as I say, yeah, I I think pretty pretty difficult to find. I think, I mean, what's neat about that game too is that it's bringing other people into gaming that wouldn't have started with board games before. And I think it's, it's generating press for the board game industry um, in a way that wasn't there before. Um, so it's kind of opening up these new doors that are really cool and which should be really instructive and should be a lesson to designers that if you, you know, if you do something different um, and it's good, then, you know, it, it might have a big impact, you know, that you don't have to stick to doing the, exact same game over and over again to be successful you can do something out of the box and different i mean i guess she she was lucky to um you know find the publisher that she did and they were supportive of her and um you know but maybe you know what they did at stonemeyer is going to you know help other publishers see that they can take those risks too maybe so that's it's amazing absolutely absolutely um if people have listened along today and they would like to keep an eye on you on the internet webs, where do you exist on the internet <laughs> webs, Scout? Um, we have a um, website for the um, for Mockingbird Games, which perennially mm-hmm. needs to be updated, but, you know, it is there. Um, <laughs> and it's just www.mockingbird dash games.com um okay. i'm on twitter and, and my handle is at scout bloom um s-c-o-u-t-b-l-u-m i'm on facebook uh i have an instagram account but i'm not really very active on instagram at the moment but mostly twitter and um and then the 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 uh, facebook page mockingbird has a facebook page as well and then the, cool. the website as well excellent well, I will make sure that we put all of 
the links into the show oh, notes. You. So we've got notes to show. Um, thank you very, very much for coming on. Really you are very welcome, Richard. This has been such a nice, pleasant experience. Thank you. I need to try better next time. I thought it was being intimidating. <laughs> um, if you... If you want to Scary. keep an eye on what if you want to keep an eye on what we're up to, just go to the internet webs, search for We Are Not Wizards, and you'll find us in all the different worn out places, worn out faces, bright and early for the daily races, uh, like Twitter and Facebook and Instagram, and we've got our blog, and um, yes, everything. You are everywhere. Uh, yeah, we're kind of like yeah, we're kind of spreading, <laughs> um, but no touching. Um, but you can also go to Apple Podcasts and you can drop us a subscription or tell other people about us. You know, yes. that's always nice. Um, if you like what you've listened to today, then consider uh, dropping us a rating or a review. And as we always say, because we've had complaints about the new joke, so we have to go back to the old joke. Um, don't give us 10 stars because it makes us big-headed. But don't give us one star because it makes us cry. Give us something in the middle, like five because it's average <laughs> and we're just a little bit average but the person who's not been average is rather wonderful rather fantastic scout bloom so thank you very much um there's only two more things to do okay first thing is to remember there were many things so like winston churchill we are many things but we are not <laughs> wizards um are we wizards scout uh, no Never. Almost is a hesitation. I heard a hesitation. <laughs> and the second thing. And the second thing. Is I didn't to know if it was goodbye. like a trick question or something. It's never a trick question. It's just oh, tricky right. answers. Um, and the second thing is to say goodbye. So uh, say goodbye, Scout. Goodbye, Scout. And uh, it's a goodbye from me. Remember, <laughs> stay safe. Roll sixes. Make something awful. And um, until the next time, goodbye. is never linked. Is he early? He arrives precisely when he means to.